even young menstruators now, they've told us they just feel that they can't talk about this. That's what they're being told. I mean, even for me too, like with periods, you know, growing up with my mom, she never really told me I'm the oldest. And it was like, okay, I pretty much learned how to use a tampon from going to high school from your friends. There are, are people of all ages who are menstruating that simply do not have products. This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Kenji Cataldo. I'm Suyuno Amos. Each week, we'll be talking story with grassroots community organizers at the forefront of progressive movements for change in Hawaii. Over this series, we're featuring the 30 grantees who received community-raised funds through the Hawaii People's Fund this year. It's our biggest cohort to date, and we're so excited to share their stories with you. We're speaking today with Brandy Lee Yi and Nikki Ann Yi, two sisters working to end period poverty in Hawaii through their organization, Ma'i Movement. Ma'i Movement is working hard this legislative session to pass a bill that would require the Department of Education and State Public Charter School Commission to provide free period products in schools. This conversation was eye-opening for us, and we're excited to share the urgent and important work they're doing for menstrual equity in Hawaii. Okay, we're here today with Nikki and Brandy of Ma'i Movement Hawaii. Would you both like to introduce yourselves and Ma'i Movement? Hi, everybody. I'm Brandy Lee, and I am one of the co-founders at Ma'i Movement. Um, I live on the Big Island, and I um, do a lot of things over here for the Big Island. Um, yeah. Aloha, everyone. My name is Nikki Ann Yi, and I am co-founder. I'm actually based in Maryland, and I'm little sis to brand, but middle sis in the trio of Ma'i Movement. Brand, you want to talk a little bit about our organization? Sure. So our organization, we were, um, um, it started with uh, my sister, Nikki. She um, had this idea for, you know, she learned about period poverty while she was living in Hong Kong, about period poverty in Africa. And she wanted to do something for domestic workers in Hong Kong. And we always talked about it. And she always brought it up. Oh, what should I do? And I never ever thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, you should do this and that. And then, you know, fast forward to last year, I'm in a work um, Zoom with all these community um, organizations on the big island here in Kamuela and um, the diaper, the, the head of the diaper bank, the co-founder or not the co-founder, the founder of the diaper bank. So the founder of the diaper bank, um, she was speaking about what they what she was doing, you know, for the Hawaii diaper bank um, and the collections that they do. And somehow I was like, you know, there's a lot of everybody in the zoom and I kind of was like zoning around. I was thinking about my sister and I was like, oh, she can do that with pads. We could get a bin, you know, that's how it started. Get a bin and ask for donations, you know, started small. And I'm not sure if I talked to Nikki that day or like it was still in the same week because I remembered. <laughs> so when I talked to her, I told her about, you know, what the diaper bank is doing. I was like, oh my God, you should do that over there in Hong Kong. Oh, and, oh we should do that over here and I should do that work. And then it just kind of blew up into this and then we started, you know, Googling and looking up everything and how we're going to do this. And is there anybody else in Hawaii that does it? And we didn't find anybody that was grassroots. We only found like, you know, um, what do you call that? The mainland branches down here. So we're like, oh, we should do this. And 
you know, with all the Googles, we didn't have that. Then we thought, okay, what is our name going to be if we do do it? And I was like, Ma'i. It wasn't even Hawaiian at first. It was English. I forget what it was. And then, then it turned into Ma'i movement. And it just, you know, flew and it kind of made sense what Ma'i is, you know, your period where it's slang. Everybody in Hawaii, most everybody knows what Ma'i is when we talk about it. The movement, you know, there's a movement, what we want to do. We want to end the stigma, the shame, you know, get the um, advocacy going, you know, and make, getting collections. And then, of course, Hawaii, because we're in Hawaii and this is where we're from. We're Native Hawaiians. So that's how we got it going. And then next thing you know, it, me and Nikki Nikki's like, you want to do it? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And we went and I was thinking I was going to have my bin and then it blew up into what it is today. Everything. You know, and I just want to add in to, you know, what really kind of brought the urgency to start as well, because in my intro, I said, I'm in Maryland. Uh, so I still remember when Brandy called me and she, she was saying, why don't we do what you wanted to do in Hong Kong in Hawaii? I thought that's nuts. I mean, I'm as far away from Hawaii as I can be. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, how are we going to do this? But there was so much need and Brandy, she works for Queens doing Native Wine Health. And, you know, we talk all the time. Um, and as she was sharing things with me, just, you know, what was going on back home, um, it was really something that we couldn't ignore, especially, as Brandy said, when we couldn't find anyone that was really focused on this issue. And so we took a chance. We said, okay, we don't have a background in this. Um, you know, we never started a nonprofit before. Uh, we're, you know, we're all stuck in this pandemic. Uh, we have families, we have a lot of things, but we need to take care of our people. Um, and so let's just, let's just go for it. Yeah. And then, then we said, okay, well, we both don't live on Oahu, <laughs> the most busiest island, you know, the gathering aisle. Uh, how are we going to get this? So we were like, oh, let's go ask our other sister, Jamie. <laughs> and so we had a little meeting and we're like, hey, we have this like kind of crazy idea, sort of, a little bit crazy um, and then we introduced it to her about my emo <laughs> And then, of course, she's not going to tell her big sisters no. So she was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> and so that's how our little trio started and our Ma'i movement started with us three. Wow. So that's pretty incredible that you really just started last year, like you began during the pandemic. Um, maybe could you talk a little bit just about what period poverty is? So period poverty, you know, when you hear the word, um, obviously what, what always strikes people first is poverty, right? Um, so, you know, it's associated with, of course, lack of income, but period poverty really is also a state of menstrual inequity. And so it's not just uh, income that affects this state, but it's other factors. And Brandy already kind of touched on it. It's, you know, feelings of societal or cultural shame and stigma. It can be lack of education, whether that whether that's at home or also in schools, uh, and also lacking access to clean places to maintain hygiene. So, when I first heard about period poverty, as Brandy said, it was, you know, I was reading an article about women in Africa, and you know, in my mind, this was very much a third world problem. And when I was in Hong Kong, there was obvious obviously a need with domestic workers and refugees there. So I never really thought that it would be a major issue in the U.S. and especially in Hawaii. But 
we did our research, we looked and, you know, especially in the pandemic when so many people were hit, a lot of existing problems just got worse by the pandemic. And so, you know, menstrual inequity really is a lot of structural intersectionality. There's injustices along racial lines, gender and socioeconomic, and they're all intertwined. Yeah, I know that Ma'i movement is really doing a lot to address period poverty in Hawaii. You know, you not only provide supplies to people, but you also provide educational resources and programs, and you push for legislative change. Maybe could you talk about um, each of these different approaches that you take to addressing period poverty in Hawaii? So we did take a multi-pronged approach. When Brandy and I were, you know, brainstorming, talking, you know, even though I had some plans already for Hong Kong, we said, okay, what do we really want to do for the people of Hawaii? And it was super important because we wanted to have that narrative, you know, coming from us, people that were born and raised on the islands, you know, we've seen firsthand, experienced struggles. So that's where we said, okay, of course, uh, services. There's immediate needs. Um, periods are not stopping for pandemics, for state budgets, for grants, um, any of this kind of funding, they're happening all the time, um, every month. So we said, okay, we're going to start off with these care kits. And, you know, it's a month supply of disposable products, you know, because we're a very small team, we said, what can we do to serve uh, the demographics? So we, you know, we talked about, okay, who's, who are the ones that are in need most? And so that's where we identified, you know, it's students, low income and houseless girls and women, uh, transgender and non-binary individuals, and also those that are incarcerated. Um, Brandy, do you want to talk about Mimi for a little bit and why that was such a strong... Oh, um, yeah. We, our, our cousin Mimi, um, she actually lived in a um, shelter, a domestic violence shelter in Manoa. And when I was telling her about my e-movement, you know, because we're all cousins, we got to talk stories all the time. And uh, I was telling her, like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. And she was like, oh, my God, you guys should because, you know... When we were in the shelter, we didn't have that kind of stuff. And they got a lot of donations from people like soap and, you know, like that pads and things like that. And she goes, and you know what? It really helped us a lot so that we didn't have to focus on buying these things. We could focus on healing to be getting better, you know, and people don't know those kind of things. Like you don't think those little basic needs can bring stress, you know, it could be a little barrier to your recovery or your health. So that was, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, can you give me that name of that domestic violence? You know, like, I had to ask her, well, give me the name so I can call them and, you know, find out, like, more. And then from just from her story, when I was telling her, you know, that kind of was like, wow. And then opened up that branch for us to, okay, we got to do research over here, too, you know, and just start pushing forward. And it was like, you know, it was kind of sad when she told me. And I was just thinking, wow. I mean, even for me, too, like... With periods, you know, growing up with my mom, she never really told me I'm the oldest and she never was like, oh, yeah, you got to do this and that, you know, it was like, OK, I pretty much learned how to use a tampon from going to high school from your friends, you know, because you don't ask your mom. I don't know. It's probably the, the shame or maybe it's this thing where you just don't ask your parents or that's how I felt I should have been. So or even like oh, I don't have a pad or should I buy this? Is this It costs this much, but I got to buy food, you know, and we have to like pick and choose 
or we don't have a pad on us, but I'm too ashamed to ask somebody. So there's like a lot of things that we go through. But so all of these kind of came together and really is our backbone. It helps us push and figure out ways that we can, you know, help. And so from all of these personal experiences that we had in our lives, you know, and we even had, you know, aunties that were in transitional shelters. And our, we remember our mom would take us for Thanksgiving to bring things to her, whether it was food or toiletry, period products. And so, you know, services was always a big thing that we had to start with. Um, but it was very apparent, very early on, right, that we would also need to build in that education. And, you know, we believe okay, yes, this is great. We can provide um, period products, but there's no real change unless it's systemic. And so that's how the advocacy piece uh, folded in. And, you know, when I was doing my research, most of it was international before. I was following, for example, what was happening in Scotland, um, even in New Zealand, they've also passed laws uh, where period products are free in schools. And so, you know, once we said, okay, we're gonna start in Hawaii, then I looked at what was the situation nationally. And so something that was important to us too is other countries, other states, in our or in the U.S., uh, are passing laws more and more each year. Are introducing legislation, so we want to make sure that Hawaii is right there, leading that change. Yeah, well, it's really hopeful to hear that other states are passing that kind of legislation. How does the legislation here in Hawaii compare? So the first bill was actually introduced uh, two years ago in 2020. And, you know, I have to really give credit to Millie. She's a teacher at Lima Intermediate and also Moana of I Support the Girls, the Honolulu chapter. We were not yet formed, um, of course, but they really uh, led that charge in the first year. Unfortunately, the entire session was truncated uh, because of COVID. So when we started, uh, you know, we had formed in October of 2020 and we were just getting up all of our services. And then we heard that the bill was going to be introduced again. We were not part of drafting it or, you know, all that good stuff leading up to session. But once it got introduced, we really, um, pushed hard uh, for it. You know, it was a bill that we obviously wanted to stand behind 500%. And so (laughs) we really went all out when it came to bringing awareness around the issue, whether it was through social media or talking to all the different organizations and schools that we were working with, just so that they knew like, okay, this is a possibility that we can give our students. While we're talking about legislation, could you describe your long-term vision for the future? What would you at Mutti Movement like to see for Hawaii? I'll go first. <laughs> for me, I would like to see for Mutti Movement, because we're Native Hawaiians, it's kind of like a big thing for us. Um, that will be like, um, you know, um, the other Native Hawaiians will be inspired at any age, if I mean, because just like us, we had no idea about nonprofits or, you know, starting anything, but be inspired to maybe start a nonprofit organization for, you know, something that they're very passionate about. And even non-Hawaiians, just anyone, you know, really. You know, I get asked this question a lot. And my first answer is my vision is to not 
exist. Oh, yeah. Because if mighty movement does not exist, then we have achieved menstrual equity. And it's not just menstrual equity, right? It's gender equity. Um, When you're talking about schools, it's touching on education, equity, and so, and really just basic needs. Um, And, you know, I always say my dream, right, would be maybe even in the next generation, uh, you see pads everywhere, you know, in bathrooms, in places of business, and they're free, just like toilet paper is free, right? So there is no longer this discussion, oh, is it a luxury product? Um, You know, is this only a women's issue? And so nobody else needs to care about it. And so really that this would be a non-issue. Well, you know, my other vision, no. no, we just made a huge impact in Hawaii. You know, and that it's like we made the awareness alive and everything that we all our hard work, you know, has all worked out somehow. And like Nikki said, there, there's no need for my movement. Yeah, I think that's a great vision of the future to have free menstrual products available everywhere. And it would be cool to also see, you know, I think you're right. There is still so much stigma around menstruation. And I wonder if the more that stigma goes away and as a society we become more comfortable talking about menstruation, it would be easier to also have conversations that cross into kind of environmental concerns as well, where, you know, it would be really nice to talk about making reusable period products more common and more easily available as well. But um, I'd like to take a moment here to also acknowledge that you know, since Ma'i Movement is such a new organization, this is also your first time being funded by Hawaii People's Fund. Um, could you talk about how that support has impacted all the work that you've been able to do? Oh, Hawaii People's Fund came out for us in such a big way. Uh, you know, I, we actually applied for the Urgent Action Grant uh, earlier in the year, and that actually really propelled our education piece because when we first started, of course, as I mentioned, it was with the disposable, right? Because that's what um, most people are familiar with. And because we serve all demographics, it was easy for us to deliver that in a very immediate and direct sense. But, you know, as we were discussing, okay, so three sisters, we all get our periods. Uh, We all have our preferences. I am the crazy sister that tries everything, reusable, disposable. And I'm always talking to my sisters and they're like, yeah, no, no way. Uh, And we definitely, you know, respect each other's preferences just as we respect anybody's preferences. But one thing I recognize as a user, as a reusable product user was that it does make a difference on how much money I'm spending naturally uh, on the environment, you know, and also on my own well-being and how I feel when I have my period. So I said, okay, we started brainstorming. Well, why don't we try and see if we can connect with a cup company? Uh, But then it was, and this is the beauty of having three sisters, right? Because then we have all these different sides of the argument. And, you know, I think it was Brandy. She's like, well, what if people don't want to use a cup? Because she's like, I would never use a cup. So (laughs) so then I I'm over, so I just like, what is that? <laughs> and we respect that. But then I said, okay, well, why don't we then fold in 
other products, right? So there's also period underwear and cloth pads. And that's where the Hawaii People's Fund grant really came in um, and helped us to launch our sustainable Ma'i program. Because then we were able to create uh, gender inclusive and locally inspired education. Because that was also important, right? Is, okay, we have all these products. We must have connected with, you know, over 50 companies just saying, uh, Aloha, this is who we are. Uh, can you help us? And of course, being a new organization, we really mahalo the companies that trusted our vision and took a chance on, took a chance on us. And so we said, okay, we have these products, but what if people or recipients don't know how to use it? Because with reusable products, it's not just a financial barrier. There's education and access. So we said, how can we bring down all of those barriers? And that's where it was really with the support of that grant, we were able to bring that program, pilot it. Uh, We piloted it across three islands and we had participants from fourth grade all the way up to university level same education and they were able to choose the reusable product they wanted so that was really important right and whoever we are providing support for we respect if you want to use disposable or reusable but it's about empowering the individual to make that choice for themselves and i will also talk about the other grant (laughs) that we also received because this is one that really really excites me um because it was actually in direct response to that this past year's legislative session. So, you know, a little bit of background around that. We joined kind of late in the session, but, you know, we were putting full support uh, behind the bill. Unfortunately, it didn't get a hearing. But, you know, as I said, it got a lot of broad public support. And I think that was very surprising um, to a lot of, you know, legislators. And so... We were able to turn it into a resolution. It got passed on the House and Senate side. But, you know, as we were listening to the different testimonies from legislators and DOE, there was a lot of questions, right? Even though we had done and provided all the research, it was what is happening in Hawaii? How much is this going to cost in Hawaii? How is it going to work? There were different... uh, thought processes. Is this just for students that forget their pads, you know, for that one day, not not really realizing that, no, this is a basic needs that some kids are not going to school. They're missing out at school. Um, some are suffering emotionally, mentally, they're unable to focus in school. So it really is a public health and education issue. You know, when students are, they can't afford pads, so they're using they're using the one that they get from school. And, you know, most of the time they're paying 25 cents to 50 cents uh, and they're using it for days. They'll wring out their pads or they'll leave tampons in for days because they can't afford it. And so we said, okay, in the interim between the sessions, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to, we're going to pilot a program. You know, we're going to see what is the actual situation in our schools. So same thing, you know, we, Uh, We hooied with schools that we worked with all across the state. Um, We looked for schools from K all the way up to 12, charter and public. We wanted to see what what a free period product program looked like, what 
our costs, what our logistics, kind of answering those questions, and then also trying to understand from both students and faculty point of view, right? Uh, what does a program, ha- what kind of impact does it have on them? You know, whether it's uh, academic performance, um, student success, all of all of those different factors. And, you know, also looking at access. So if we are going to do a peered product program, right, where do the products need to be that it best serves the students and the schools? And how does it kind of take down that shame and stigma about getting products? And we, we also looked, you know, on the mainland, what were what were other advocates doing? And no one has really looked at the problem in this way or carried out a study that really spread across all counties in their state. Um, and, you know, again, we couldn't do it without the Hawaii People's Fund. One of the goals of the podcast is to let our listeners know the ways they can support or get involved with our grantees. So could you talk a little about what listeners can do to support your efforts now or during future legislative sessions? Okay, so of course, every anybody can come down and then, you know, the, how do you support the Make Kids at Home? So they can contact or just make kids at home and let us know. They can donate um, at our page, mutimovement.org, or they can reach us on our IG at Movement Hawaii. Um, spread the word. That's like the best thing is spreading the word and getting people to, you know, know what peer, peer poverty is and money movement and other people who are helping out the cause as well. And then, um, yeah. And legislative wise, you know, we are going back to push the bill to get period products free in our schools. So definitely uh, we will be pushing out a lot of information, asking the community for testimonies, you know, once we can get hearings for the bill. I have to say, I think uh, that was probably the single most important thing that last year and a big takeaway for us as well, because as we were going through the hearings, uh, the committees were saying, wow, they've gotten over 50 uh, testimonies from individuals and organizations. And so that really let legislators know that this was an important issue. And we work with a lot of youth. Um, we talk to people or students as young as 12, uh, all the way up to, you know, university as level as well. You know, if anybody is interested in joining, we always encourage, we always try to support and say, this is how you can get involved in your own communities, within your own network. And, you know, I'm really proud to say we had two of uh, two students. One was from Pearl City High School. She testified last year. And, you know, we also have other Marinol students that we mentor to help them get a project off the ground. Again, it started with doing donation drives and they were then distributing products to organizations such as RISE. And, you know, now they're on their own and they're hosting drives you know, across the islands as well, and donating to organizations and other schools. Yeah, and it, that right there helps us a lot too. So we're not the only ones doing it. You know, we have a lot of other people doing it, and then we can focus on other things too at Mighty Movement. And yeah, like Nikki said, um, echoing her, like right now, 
working with a student, a junior over here at one of the public uh, charter schools in Hilo, and she wants to do a bake sale. So, you know, we really help mentor them and help them get it all together and what they need. So I've been working with her, talking with the Hilo Farmers Market and stuff like that to get us a booth. And then I'm going to be there to help support her. And her whole goal is to, you know, have the bake sale. And all the money that she gets from her bake sale will go straight to um, Mutty Movement. So that's how she's doing it. So, I mean, if any of the kids out there or anyone who wants to do something for Mutty Movement, I mean, we're all ears. You can just reach out to us and, you know, we can work together. It's really cool to hear the sort of ripple effect it sounds like Mutty Movement is having with other people getting hooked in and starting their own things, too. I wonder if you have any advice for people who might want to initiate some conversations with friends or family about period poverty. You know, just any thoughts you have on that since there is stigma and it's so important to destigmatize the topic. I'm really happy that you brought that up because that's probably one of the biggest ways that somebody can get involved and support the movement because people always say, oh, what can I do to help? You know, um, do you want me to raise money? Do you want me to, you know, do donation drives for you guys? And those are really important. But what I tell people is don't wait for us to have a donation drive or to, you know, hold a fundraiser. Really, the change has to come from yourself, right? Looking inwards. I mean, even as we were creating Ma'i Movement, there were many things that we needed to unlearn ourselves. Little things, for example, we don't say feminine hygiene products, right? Because that genders the issue and it leaves out other genders that also menstruate. We want to make a very we want this to be a very inclusive conversation. So how do you unlearn and relearn? And, you know, change has to come from yourself, tearing down whatever feelings of shame and stigma you may have around menstruation, right? Because that really can block you from other further action and starting from within, and then you spread it to your family. So I have a son, Brandy is a mother of two boys they are very well versed in <laughs> menstruation, but that is important. It's part of the change, right? Because you you start to normalize a bodily function because that's all it really is. You know, there's no difference between the, you know, how you bleed. Um, and, you know, it does raise individuals that are more empathetic, confident, and well versed in the other gender's experiences whether you menstruate or don't menstruate. And I think from there, you know, it's it's almost like even with our youth activists, as you were saying, it's a ripple effect because then it goes into the communities, um, into places of business, in schools. We've done in, in-store donation drives at ice cream shops, you know, people have gone and they're like, oh, there's, there's period bins in a gelato store. And you know, we had, and, and at Starbucks, yeah, I've had friends text me. They're like, I went into Starbucks to get my coffee and I saw pads and I was like, what is going on? Why are there pads in my, in our Starbucks? Uh, but it is, just breaking all of that down. Nobody questions when they see uh, toilet paper, you know, anywhere. I know. I just wanted to like kind of go off on Nick. Um, so she mentioned I have two sons. They're 15 years apart. So my older one wasn't part of this whole Ma'i movement. And my younger one, he's 
six, going to be seven on Monday. And he's all about it. He doesn't know. So he's little, right? And the older one, like, he was up here helping before he went back to school. And we're doing a drive. So he had to do everything for me because I'm the mom. And I said, you have to do that, right? So, of course, he's going to do it for his mom. But if it was anybody else, he would have been like, no. But he was putting these kids together. And he's holding the tampons. And he's like, you know, these blood sticks, you know, like, he's just, like, grossed out. And I'm like, that's so weird. And my other one is, like, posing with the packages, you know. Go stand by the box and he, he has nothing is wrong with pads, you know. It's totally fine for him. So I, the stigma and the shame is like how we, we raise them. So now with my movement, we're more aware. And he's like our living room and everything is filled with tampons and all these beard products. So when my younger one gets older, when his wife sends him to go get pads or whatever, he's going to be fine with it. You know, my older one, I don't know. He was like totally gross. And he's like, you're lucky you're my mom. And, you know, I would never do this for anybody else. And I'm like, okay. But yeah, so it was just, it's just weird to, you know, funny to see the two different, they're 15 years apart and like the whole, I didn't raise this one with pads and this one is this way, you know? So yeah, we still got to work on it. And I kind of have to talk to him about it too, you know? Like they say, everything comes from when you're younger, right? When you're like, you're born, you're taught when you're young. So hopefully we can get it out where the younger generation can just be like, like not care. Because even like today, till this day, I'll, I'll grab a pad because it's something that's stuck in my brains. I'm 42 and I'll hide the pad while I'm walking to the bathroom in my office. Like, why am I hiding it? You know, it should be like nothing. Like I'm just going to walk to the bathroom, but we just hide it anyways. Like, oh, I got to go you know, sneak it into the bathroom like it's drugs or something. <laughs> like, nobody can know what it is. So, yeah, that's what – hopefully we can work on all of this. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've encountered so far in your work with Ma'i Movement? I think, you know, looking at the organization as a whole and period poverty, you know, as an issue itself, um, what I've learned is there's – there's still a major lack of awareness and understanding. So, you know, awareness, it, it is kind of built into that cycle of shame and stigma, right? Because a lot of people, I mean, even, even young menstruators now, they've told us they just feel that they can't talk about this. That's what they're being told. Um, you know, don't talk about this, whether it's from their parents. If they're in school, they can be sometimes shamed by teachers, you know, when they have to go to the bathroom to change their products. You know, so there is still that kind of built-in system that that obviously needs to be dismantled. But so, you know, a lot of people are unaware that what they're experiencing should not be happening right? You should not have to go without a basic necessity. And yes, just because I'm a menstruator menstruator and bleed, it doesn't mean that I cannot seek help for this, right? Because that's, all the, that's also what, you know, we've heard from people, they say, well, that's her problem. That's her business. You know, she's the one bleeding. So why do I need to do something about it? Or um, people have said, well, I've been able to take care of myself all these years, so I don't understand how somebody else cannot. So, yes, there we can see like there are these major problems, but it also is you know and a major opportunity as well, right? Is because then 
once we recognize a problem, we can work towards trying to fix it. So, you know, when it comes to awareness, that's that's why we're always out there talking about it to whoever we meet in whatever capacity, whether it's one-on-one with students or if it's on podcasts like this, anybody that wants to talk, talk to us about menstruation, we're there because we believe the more we talk about it, then people would know. And it'll also bring that understanding and empathy because there are people that, you know, they can't afford period products. There are they're struggling. Do I buy food or do I buy period products? Um, Some students are just bleeding at home because their parents have fallen on hard times during the pandemic. And so, yes, in some sense, when they're at home, they're able to deal with it. But what now that they're back in school, the thought in my mind is what's what's happening to that student? And, you know, I think one of the single one of the comments that were left on one of our surveys um, in our student pilot was, you know, we had asked, if you don't have period products, what are alternatives that you use? And there's the standard answers, right? Uh, toilet paper, paper napkins. I mean, we've also been in that situation where, you know, you wad it up and <laughs> to get yourself to the next uh, to the next pad. Um, but, you know, we also heard there's newspapers, you know, people are using um, socks, rags, um, even a diaper. But what broke my heart and literally made me cry, you know, I have a 12 year old daughter. A student had written that she used a leaf. And this is in our island. She's an intermediate student. And, you know, I just think, OK, how how can we not talk about this? How can we not elevate this issue, bring it to the forefront? And so, yeah, that's also where we're stepping in, of course, to to make people know that, yes, this is not a third world issue. What some people believe, this is not a moment of, oh, I forgot my pad, you know, at home, I was not prepared. Um, There are people of all ages who are menstruating that simply do not have products. Yeah, hearing all those different types of things that students will use in place of menstrual products is really eye-opening for sure. Nikki and Brandy, is there anything else that we haven't asked that you'd like to share? Just thank you for having us today and, you know, being able to help us spread the word through this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It was great to talk with you. No, and thank you just for believing in our mission. Um, You know, from the very, very beginning, uh, seeing something there that, you know, we thought that this was just something that we were going to push forward. But then, you know, to have people and foundations like Hawaii People's Fund to just come behind us and back us. I mean, it has meant the world uh, because we even have other foundations that have rejected us that don't see the need. Uh, And, you know, I don't think this is a menstruator or non-menstruator issue. This is really a human rights issue. And so, you know, I just, I can't express my gratitude like I'm speaking 500 times. <laughs> a million times. 
In the time since this interview was recorded, Ma'i Movement has put out a report on their research study, Understanding Period Poverty in Hawaii, in collaboration with the Hawaii State Commission on the Status of Women. A link to their report is in the description of this episode. Ma'i Movement is also working on creating an additional report to reflect their research after implementing free period products in select schools for one semester. Be sure to follow Ma'i Movement Hawaii on Instagram or sign up for their newsletter at ma'imovement.org to stay updated on their research findings. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me and me with additional support from Mickey! Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. Production of this podcast is supported by a fellowship from Princeton University. Thank you to our community donors and to you, our audience, for listening. In our next episode, we'll be speaking with Makahanaloa Fishing Association. We're just trying to secure the last of paradise at the last possible chances we've got of doing that. You don't want to miss it. <laughs>